Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Mike the Gardener podcast, sponsored by those lovely people at Natural Grower, who supply plant-based products for both organic and chemical-free gardening and your houseplants. In today's exciting episode, I speak to none other than the Clematis King himself, Raymond Everson. Welcome to the Mike the Gardener podcast, Raymond. Before we get into the nitty gritty of clematis, tell me a little bit about yourself. How long have you been growing clematis? Well, it's been, I suppose, a passion for a big, big part of my life. Um, I left school when I was 15. I was, um, my school was uh, in Ludlow in, in South Shropshire. I was head boy and did lots of those things. But I said to my headmaster, uh, age 15, uh, sir, shall I stay on and do some exams? And he said, Everson, it's a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was my, my so I, uh, I, I went to join a business that my father was involved in, in Tenbury Wells, which eventually became Treasures of, of Tenbury Limited. Um, uh, and there my, my parents were um, convinced themselves that they did not want me to get into gardening. And so I was given all the most horrible jobs in my <laughs> first uh, year after leaving school um, uh, and boring jobs, anything to put me off. But for a strange reason, it, it didn't. And uh, <laughs> you know, here, here we are today. What attracts you so much to Clematis? Well, Mike, it, it's a fascinating genus. Yeah. Um, when I was young, as I've just said, most of the plants seem to die of Clematis wilt. It's a difficult plant, a fascinating plant. In the wild, there are about over 300 species. Um, uh, you know, so the majority of the species, because I'm in China, is a vast area of land. So there are about 140, 150 species known in China. And so only 300 species throughout the world. So it's just a fascinating plant and a difficult plant and a challenging plant. Uh, and I, I don't know. I, I didn't never decide, you know, I'm going to do it because it's difficult. I just got involved with it and, uh, and just found it fascinating and a challenge. And it still is a very challenge, but a successful challenge these days. Well, my listeners have been asking me for a Clematis special, and I knew who, exactly who I had to speak to about that. So I'm delighted you're here today. And I want to go through sequentially about Clematis. And I'm going to start with buying Clematis. What do we need to look out for when we're buying a Clematis? Well, I, I think the most important thing is that, you know, you don't need a, a tall plant on, on a four foot cane or anything like that. Uh, really, what you're looking for is, is a plant that has a good firm base and multi stem from the base, if, if at all possible. Mm -hmm. And in, in our in our commercial production here in Guernsey, then we, we we root our cuttings, we prune the cuttings back as cuttings three times, even maybe four times to build up like a root crown. I say to people, think about a clematis being a climbing perennial. Mm. And then when we pot up the rooted cuttings, or maybe these days, many of them are grown in little elegard pots. We then bury that, that, that pot, that elegard pot, when we pop them into the young uh, plant pots in the seven centimeter pots, or if it's a bare rooted cutting again, we, we bury that, 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 that first node yeah. um, to make sure that there are multi-stems. And we, then we prune the, the uh, young seven centimeter plants. We prune them again at least three times before they leave our nursery. Um, uh, and so in that way, we're build, building up this root development, this root crown, if you think it, of it in that way. So the, the plants are multi-stemmed and, and that, thought process happened because um, in the early days, of course, people were having problems with clematis wilt um, mm. and, and people were planting the plants normally far too high when they planted them in a garden situation. And even I know with the, the way the Dutch plants were grown who were the main competitors at that time, you know, they, they would pot their, their plants up with the first node way above the, the soil surface. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've been you know, always pushing for people to plant their clematis that extra two and a half inches deeper in, in, in the soil when they plant in the garden. But going back to your question, yeah, you're looking for a multi-stemmed plant. That's what we, we do in our nursery and then all our growers around the world 
are, are also asked to prune their plants to build up that, that, that strong base. So that's what you're looking for, a strong multi, multi-branch plant. Great. So how old are your clematis when they leave your nursery to go on sale? So some of the, the plants that we sell mail order may only be 18 months old, but all of the clematis sold under the Raymond Edison brand throughout the world where the brand is sold, then those plants are two, two and a half years old or something like that. So they've developed then a very strong root system. Uh, but the other thing that we do as well when we're potting our bare rooted cutting plants, we trim the root system back uh, almost by 50% to make those roots branch out. So our plants are not only multi-branched, the, the, the roots are, are multi-branched as well. So good, strong, healthy plants at yeah, the point of yes. purchase. Now, there are different types of clematis. Can you explain briefly the different types of clematis that are available to us? Well, of course, with the 300 species, there are many different types and formats. But generally, uh, I think in, in my early book, and I think one of my first books was written in about um, 1977, 79 or something like that, um, then, then I, I perhaps changed a little bit of the categories because the categories in some of the old Jackman's catalogs were, were five or six categories. So I think what we're all used to is, is pruning groups one, two and three today of, of the old types of clematis. So the first group uh, are the clematis that flower on the previous season stems will come to pruning later. Yeah. So th- those are like the evergreens, the armandites, the clematis serosas, some of the New Zealand species, and then the Monta- alpina and the montanas. Now, all of those flower with a short flower stalk directly from the ripened previous season's leaf axle buds. So that's really, in theory, group one. Okay. Group two are the Nelimosa, the president, the early large flower cultivars, including some of the double and semi-double varieties. Those all need um, a certain amount of ripened previous season's growth to give their first flowers of the late spring, early summer. So that's really group two. Okay. Group three uh, are really the midsummer uh, and uh, clematis that flower on the current season's growth. Um, so that, that you know, so I think that that's how I tended to categorize them and, and kept to that simple system. But with the breeding and development work that we've done here in Guernsey as part of the Everson Paulson breeding program, I'm afraid we've simplified the, the growing of clematis much better and made life easier for the consumer, but we've changed that. So basically, with the Everson and Paulson. Um, uh, so these are the Raymond Everson branded clematis, yep. the single flowered ones, really, um, they can all be pruned down to a few uh, inches above soil level. I uh, will come to pruning again, but th- these are like a, my floribunda roses as clematis, as, as it were. And so these it keeps life simple for the growers. So that, that's one category. And then the second of the Everson Poulsen ones are, of course, the double and the semi-doubles, where, again, they, they will produce double and semi-double flowers, whether it's on new wood or old wood, but it's really advisable to leave some stems on, on those. And I know we'll come to pruning later. So for people who have existing clematis, how do they tell which type of clematis they have? It's, it's very simple, uh, Michael, on that it's really knowing when your clematis flowers and yeah. if you if you buy a newer house or an old house and move into a garden that you don't know the plants there you've lost the labels or the labels have been discarded then simply you just have to live with your clematis for a year find out when they flower have a look at how they produce their flowers so it's really simple with those early winter spring flowering ones they will produce very short flower stems directly from the previous season's growth. So that's the pruning group two. Then the other ones, the Nelimosas, the President, the Lazarstern, those lovely old varieties, many of them from the 1800s, they will put on perhaps about six inches of growth, maybe a little bit less, and then have those big solitary flowers at the end. So mm-hmm. that's pruning group two. And then the, 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 the group three ones uh, are the ones that will start flowering from 
uh, late June onwards. So, you know, so I think it's you need to have a look. But it's fairly simple to really have have a look at that. And uh, you know, I I think lots of people seem to have followed it, but I know I started to rhyme many years ago. If your clematis flowers before June, don't prune. Now, clematis come, some of them are, are, get quite big, don't they? So another consideration when you're buying a clematis, I guess, is knowing where you're going to put it and what function it's for and where it's going to grow. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a matter really, I would perhaps take it a little bit the other way around. I say to people, if they're wanting to plant new clematis in their gardens, will wander around the garden in perhaps July and August, uh, see some planting opportunities. And I'm very much against putting a clematis on a bare wall to make it look pretty. <laughs> I, I like and say to people, for goodness sake, grow clematis through other plant materials. Think about how clematis look in the wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they don't grow at the bottom of a wall or something like that. So I, you know, I get really furious, <laughs> I guess, where I see these advertisement so say well buy a trellis and put a clematis on it no you don't do that you buy a, you buy a shrub or a rose or another plant and grow your clematis through it in the natural way because clematis love to grow in a microclimate with other other plant plant material so yeah go around your garden in the spring or whatever time say oh well that shrub looks nice but gosh it would look better well evergreen foliage is rather nice but that would look better with with a bit of color on it or maybe you've got a big patch of winter flowering heathers in your garden and say well yeah those are those are fantastic in the winter but in the summer it's just a bit green well Mm. on those you can you can plant the viticella clematis because you can prune the viticellas back in November, I know that's not what the books say, but you can prune them back in November, allow the heathers to look fantastic during the winter, and then let the clematis grow and flower in the summer. So you've got the, you've got the foliage of the, of the heathers, the flowers of the heathers, you, you've got then the beauty of the clematis through the summer. So, you know, so there are many ways, and, you know, I I like to go around the garden and say, well, ooh, yeah, that, that shrub, that rose would benefit from the clematis growing up. up and there's no excuse. If you've got a square metre of garden, you can certainly grow one clematis or probably two. Exactly. That's really good advice. I, I hadn't even thought about the, the heathers. What a, what a wonderful idea, because heathers look glorious, but then can look rather subdued after they've had their period of time. So a lovely viticella. And, and again, if you have a, a sloping bank with prostate juniper, like juniper's tamarisifolia, if such a plant still exists, I'd, I know <laughs> I'm sure it does. Um, then, you know, they, they look fantastic, but you let a clematis just trail through them, uh, the viticella types in the summer flowering, so delicate, so it makes such more interest for the garden. When it comes to planting, what tips can you give us about planting a clematis so for, for best health and survival? Well, I think I've said for many, many years that, you know, dig a hole about 18 inches deep or 45 centimetres with a diameter of 18 inches, 45 centimetres. And if you're in a horrible clay soil, well, you know how to garden on those soil. So really, you've got to help the clematis get its root system established. So if you've got really poor soil that hasn't been cultivated, then dig a hole 18 inches by 18 inches or 45 by 45 centimetres in the bottom of the hole do help it with some good drainage really if you've got some well-rotted farmyard manure or well-rotted garden compost put that in the bottom of the hole and then if you've got some old potting compost from the previous year then reuse that uh, and you know just the old-fashioned blood fish and bone bone meal it's all you need to do and then the most important thing I say to people when you're preparing a site or planting your clematis with the clematis that you bought in this two or three litre pot from the garden centre put that clematis in a, in a bucket full of water, let it soak for 20 minutes. While you're doing the digging, it soaks up that water and that root ball will be wet. If you don't bother to do that, you plant your clematis, trying to wet that root ball after you plant it, it's going to be jolly difficult. Uh, dig the hole, prepare everything, uh, and then obviously then you can dig, dig out a hole to, to plant the clematis. Uh, but very importantly, that you bury that clematis in extra two, two and a half inches, five centimetres or so deeper. So the surface of, of the, the compost in the pot is below this, the new soil surface by a good two, two and a half, three inches. Now, is this specifically to help prevent clematis wilt or is that just for the health of the clematis anyway? 
again, it's back to my feeling that Clematis is basically a climbing perennial, mm. and that will help it to build up a, a lovely root system and, and a lot of buds below soil level. Uh, two things, yes, if the Clematis should succumb to Clematis wilt, then it's got a 90% chance or more of regrowing. If you're in an area in the countryside where you've got rabbits in the garden or you've got mice in the garden mm-hmm. and doing a pruning plants back at the wrong time of the year, <laughs> then, the, then the clematis will, will grow again. But it's all about making that clematis feel at home uh, and to be able to produce a strong bushy plant for, from its base. Wonderful. Now, in terms of aspect, how much sun or shade do clematis require? Well, again, I have a simple sort of way of looking at that. If you've got um, a deep red, a deep blue or a purple clematis or a white clematis, um, then that's really quite happy in a good sunny location. Mm-hmm. But if you have selected some of the pale pinks and the pale blues and the very pale colored clematis, and there are some gorgeous ones of those, then they're much better in a semi-shaded position. Oh, okay. and then, the, then, then the question is, how, how much shade? Well, my, my ruling on that, if the clematis can get three to four hours good sunlight, and it hasn't got to be direct sunlight, but mm-hmm. it needs good three to four good hours of sunlight a day, then that will be sufficient for the clematis to grow in in in, in a shaded location. Okay, but but there are some varieties uh, or cultivars, um, the ones sometimes we have the double flowers like clematis crystal fountain, which is a great plant. Now, if you plant crystal fountain on a north facing location and there isn't enough sunlight, then your flowers will mostly come out a, a muddy blue color or green. Okay. Because, Mike, as you know, and your listeners will know, the clematis don't have petals like roses or many other. They have sepals. Yes. And those sepals need a certain amount of light and sunlight and warmth for, for those sepals to, to have the true color. And that's happened this spring particularly. Well, I've heard many people being really confused because the weather's been warm and then it's been cold and then it's got warm. And, and so the poor clematis is a little bit out of sync and it suddenly yeah. bursts into flower and it hasn't had enough sunlight and enough warmth for those sepals to really colour up properly. So basically, um, yep, you can grow the deep coloured ones in, in a sunny location, the pale colours, pastel colours, grow those in semi-shade. Uh, but just think about ones, if you're going to grow them on a north-facing location, many can, uh, but their flowers yeah. will be distorted if they need a, a, bit more, a bit more sunlight. Okay, that's interesting. I, I'd not heard that before. Now, when I've planted clematis, I, I'm aware that they like a nice, cool, deep root run. And keeping the top of the surface of the soil protected with an old stone or some top dressing of some sort, is that a myth or is that really important? No, absolutely true. Because again, going back to what I mentioned right at the beginning, clematis love to grow in a microclimate with other plant material. So if you, and again, if you people think I've got a south facing wall, I've, got a, I've gone and bought a bit of trellis, I'll plant a clematis there. And that's a first class way of how to kill your clematis very quickly. <laughs> um, if you have got a south facing wall, you know, yeah, you can have a trellis, but really much better to plant a ceanothus or a lovely yeah. shrub, an evergreen shrub, a variegated shrub, and then grow your clematis through it. But then having planted your clematis there, then plant some shallow, shallow rooted um, annuals or, or perennials. So, um, you know, some of the, the compact growing um, perennials are really ideal, just shallow rooted, mm-hmm. anything like that. And that same applies, and I know probably we'll talk about growing clematis in containers, but uh, 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 later on, but you know, you could have a, you know, what I like to do very often in a garden situation is to have a, a bedding scheme. You've got your clematis growing through its shrub or its host plant, whatever that is. And then every summer you, you can have a different bedding scheme on, underneath to shade the root system of the clematis um, and give added interest. Or you can have permanent planting with heathers and, and any of the shallow rooted perennials. So, so that, that works absolutely well. But again, um, I think very often people say, well, I put, some, I put a slate 
over top of my clematis or I put some, a stone there. Mm. Well, actually, if you think about a sun beating down on a piece of slate or yeah. a stone day long, what it's going to do is heat up that slate. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it may give the, the clematis a bit of a cool root run uh, during the evening, but it's going to heat up. What you've, you've planted your clematis, how about watering and feeding initially or anything else we need to do at the point of planting? Well, just to remind you what I've said before, as you're getting ready for planting your clematis, soak it in a bucket of water for 20 yeah. minutes, plant your clematis, then really water it in well and keep that plant really, really watered well, mm. especially during its first season and the, and the spring and summer of the next year. And if you're in a very dry, sandy soils like we are in Guernsey, then you've got to keep the, the, the watering up. Mm. And I know, you know, back to John Treasure's garden at Burford House in South Shropshire, we had Montana's growing up to 45 feet in, into Corsican pine trees. Wow. And it looked fantastic. But mm. I was the guy who had to carry cans and buckets of water week after week when they were planted to get them established and uh, so you know you have to put that time in so watering is vital get your clematis established feeding um, if I was really commercial I would say we'll buy Raymond Everson clematis food but I'm not commercial so what you can do you can buy tomato feed or rose feed and just that is that's all those feeds are designed to make your rose or your tomato grow be happy and flower and fruit um, and that's what you need for your clematis so tomato feed rose fertilizer like tomorite is perfect but use it as per the instructions on the container and of course there's no benefit in adding just a little bit more of the fertilizer to make it stronger is there no i i think you know like, like all of us we, we we need plenty of food but if we eat too much we'll get greedy <laughs> So can you plant clematis all year round, so long as the ground isn't frozen or waterlogged? You, you can, because obviously clematis are grown and sold in, in pots and containers. But I think if one is really sensible, I would like to persuade people uh, to do their, their planting in, in, in end of September, October, yeah. and through then probably to November, because I know clematis roots will establish and clematis roots will continue to grow into October. And then when you get to the following spring, you'll still need to do some watering, but you will not need to do as much watering. And again, because I'm so ancient, you know, <laughs> when, when I started in the industry, then it was mostly bare-rooted shrubs that, that were planted in gardens and bare-rooted trees. Yeah. So the planting, 75% of the planting was done in the autumn months, not in the spring and through mm. the summer. I'm not saying don't plant in the summer. Fine. But if you plant in the summer, you see a clematis looking great in a garden centre, you want to buy it. It's an impulse sales. That's fine. But you will need to do more watering if you plant clematis during the summer. And uh, most of us sell our plants these days until June, July, as, as you know. Mike. Yeah. And, uh, so there's a lot more watering, but it would be lovely if people would think more and plan more and do more autumn planting. But many of us old guys in the industry have tried that and given up. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of those as well, Raymond, I have to say. Now, how long before a newly planted clematis gets into its stride? How long should we have to wait before it's actually giving of its best? It depends how old the plant and how established it is. And, and sadly, there are a lot of cheap clematis sold, um, sometimes in the supermarkets and stores and things like that. Um, but really, with a, a, a with a, one of our branded plants, which um, is in a three-litre pot, which is two plus years old, that plant will start to perform in, in the in the first year that is planted. Certainly, by its second year, it should be doing brilliantly well. So, you know. As always, you, you get what you pay for. Now, we've talked about planting to the borders. Uh, let's just touch on planting into containers. Drainage is absolutely vital, and there are some fantastic ceramic containers on the market these days, but they don't have any drainage holes at all, and that will be death for your clematis very quickly. So make sure you've got really good drainage holes in, in, the, in the bottom of the container. And the container is, is the type of container is vital too. 
do not use a plastic pot or a plastic container. Use a thick wall ceramic container. Mm -hmm. It can be made of concrete or prefabricated material, whatever, or a wooden container, uh, any, anything li li like that. But do, so something, a container with what I call a thick wall that will give protection from to the clematis root system in the heat of the summer. It'll protect the root system of the clematis during the, the winter as well. So no plastic pots. Make sure you've got really good drainage. Um, uh, and then you can then use, I still like to use the John Innes potting compass number three, and you can mix that if you like with a multi-purpose compost. But again, if you have some good, well-rotted garden compost, um, uh, having put the some crocs or, or some pebbles and that over the, the, the drainage holes, you can put some well-rotted garden compost there, and then you can use your John Innes spotting compost number three. And can we plant all types of clematis into a container, or are there some that would be better in the border than a container? Certainly, I would not plant the uh, the Montanas or the Alpinas, the Alpinas possibly, but the Montanas, any of the tall growing summer flowering clematis are probably best not grown in, in a container. And that's why we spent a great deal of time developing clematis that were much more compact in their habit. Um, and when we started the Everson Paulson breeding program, you know, we I looked really at the national collection of clematis that I had. We had a criteria for our breeding work um, and to produce clematis that would be more compact in their habit, would flower for longer. Uh, and that's how we developed the, the boulevard, the patio uh, type clematis. So any of the clematis that belong into the, the pruning group or the group two, as we mentioned right at the beginning, any of those are, are fine. Some are better than others. I would not, I, you can grow certainly some of the evergreen uh, ones, but not um, any of the clematis serosa. They're far too vigorous, not any of the Montanas. And then possibly Jackmanai and some of the Viticellas could be grown in a container, but larger than what I specified, uh, but really best to grow those in the garden. So really, I think, look what it says on, on the label, if it's saying it is a, a patio clematis and it is uh, a, or one of our branded boulevard ones, and I'm not pushing just those other readers have produced some very good early summer flowering, compact flower, flowering clematis. So any of the clematis that would be flowering naturally between May and September, um, but flowering obviously at the beginning of the, the late spring, early summer, those are perfect for growing in pots and containers. Now, we've touched on the P word a few times during the course of this interview so far. Shall we um, see if we can try and demystify some of the uh, concerns that people have about pruning clematis? I think number one rule, Mike, is the first spring after you planted your clematis, doesn't matter how big or tall it's grown, cut it down to about 12 inches of, of soil level or, or 30 centimetres. If it's some of the other ones, you can even go down to about six inches or 15 centimetres. So number one rule there is back to, I keep pushing this point, make sure your clematis is well furnished from its base, make sure it's got multi-stems. And so many times I speak, I've spoken to people where they say, oh, the clematis really grew well the first year, it's got up to six feet. I didn't prune it because I didn't want to do any <laughs> yeah. pruning. Uh, and then three years later, they'll have this fantastic bird's nest at six feet and, and the base of their clematis will be totally bare, have no leaves. And that's not what, what you want. So number one rule, be tough with yourself, prune your clematis hard, really hard, whatever species is, whatever group, group it is, prune it hard the first spring after planting. Then group one um, of the old types, group one clematis, Montanas, Alpinas, Macropetalas, those ones, no pruning of those until they finish flowering. By the time you get to, where are we now? Yeah, into early June, they will have finished their flowering. They will be putting on new growth and that new growth can be reduced by probably 50%. With those types of clematis, uh, including the evergreens like Armandai, all you need is about six inches of new growth. That growth will then ripen during July, August, September. That's the growth that will give you the flower for the next season. Group two, uh, the, the Nelimosas, the President, that's a stern, those lovely old cultivars. Um, those will need to have some old wood 
to be able to produce those early flowers. So with those, you look at your plant at the end of February, beginning of March, depending where you are in, in the country, a little bit later if you're further north, uh, and you you cut probably cut your plant back by at, at least one third, maybe even 50%. And what you do is you look at the, the plant and you cut back to just above a strong pair of leaf axle buds uh, where those buds will grow. Take out any dead and weak growth. So keep your plant really healthy. So basically it's thinning the plant out and reducing its top growth by by one third. Okay. It can be the, the rule. And that includes the doubles and the semi-doubles too. Group three, these are the Jackmanite types, the lovely Bittercellas, the later flowering ones, um, the, the later flowering species. Those ones, again, need to be, they, they all flower on the current season's growth. So with those, you prune them down to probably about 12 inches, 30 centimetres of soil level every year. Um, and you prune just above the, the base of where you prune back the, the previous year. They will grow, produce their flowers. Uh, that The only caveat there is with the ones like uh, Clementis tangutica or Orientalis bill mackenzie, uh, maybe red riana and some of those later flowering Chinese species. If you're going to grow those up into a tree, which is what I recommend, mm. then no way are you going to prune those back <laughs> to 12 inches. Uh, you just let Mother Nature sort sort life out for those. Okay, it becomes a big and a bit of a mess. But, yeah. you know, that's, that's how they look in the wild, and they're very happy doing that. So again, as I mentioned earlier on, Mike, my, my old rule that I've spoken about and other people use is now, if your clematis flowers before June, don't prune. So looking at groups one and two, which we take back by 30 to 50%, that's throughout their life. So even if it's a small plant, we're using that percentage irrespective of the age. Yes, it is. Yeah. What are the benefits of pruning? Well, the benefits of pruning are, are really to take out the, the clutter, shall I say, because with those early flowering ones, if you leave them totally unpruned, uh, they, they will look messy and um, just totally untidy. Uh, and after a few years, well, you, you're going to get less and less flowers, quite honestly. So why are we pruning? We're pruning to take out the clutter and keep that plant looking healthy and, and happy. Thank you for that. So we've covered the difficult subject of pruning, but moving on to feeding and watering. Why are we feeding? What do we feed? How often do we feed? And obviously the same with watering as well. Well, watering is, I suppose, really a matter of common sense in very dry, sandy soils that then you, then you need to, to make sure the moisture levels are up because, you know, clematis probably has quite a small root system when you compare how many yards of growth it's going to produce. So that plant does need to be watered. But again, if you're growing clematis in association with a lot of other plant material and there's a lot of ground cover around, then it will need a lot less water than if you're very naughty and grow it in, on a bit of bare ground sort of thing. <laughs> Um, so watering it, it will help the plant and, and eventually it will get its roots really down and probably watering will not it's the same with trees you need to water those well to get them established uh, and then mother nature looks after things from, from, from there feeding yep um, plants are like us we need feed we need nourishment um, uh, and that's really important that the plants are kept healthy and as I mentioned quite simply a rose feed or tomato feed works excellently for clematis and then apply that as per uh, the instructions on, on the container. And sometimes uh, um, one can use a foliar feed, um, the seaweed base feeds. I, I know that works really well. And you know, if we've been pushing plants on for an exhibition and they, we push them a little bit too hard, then you, you, you know, we, we've given them a little bit of a foliar feed. Um, it perks them up and, and they look better. And when should we start feeding? When in the season is the best time to start that? Well, if I, I go right back uh, to, to the beginning, if, if, you, if you have not uh, grown other plants around the base of your clematis, then the way I grew up was that we used well-rotted farmer manure. Mm. We actually used that as a mulch 
And that mulch actually worked also to give a cool root system to the clematis. So if you're in a farming area where you get well-rotted farmyard manure, then, then use that. That's brilliant. And of course, you apply that during the winter when the ground is frozen, they can get on the ground or you've got tread boards that you walk across to, uh, to, to do that. And I think with, with the old rules were with the feeding of clematis, then you fed them before they came into flower uh, and then resumed feeding later. But of course, um, with the breeding work we've done, we confuse that because our flowers, our clematis are repeat flowering. And so they're flowering, many of them from May to September. So with, with those ones, so I think I, I look on it this, that you know we need our food daily and so should the plants really. Um, and we, we use that philosophy in our nursery production here in Guernsey, where we, we use a very low amount of fertilizer and nutrients in the compost, but we use uh, an active uh, feeding during, during the time that we're watering our plants. So that regular active feeding, I, th I think, uh, wor works really well. But um, I think with some of the old varieties, not to make things complicated, you know, if you feed them too much while they're flowering, all you're going to do is you're going to finish the flowering too too fast, too early. So I'm sorry if that's a bit confusing. No, not at all. Uh, but just going back to watering, can you overwater a clematis? Um, yes, as I mentioned several times, uh, clematis must have a free draining um, area when you're when you're planting them in the ground and I, I think you know again I have a silly saying that clematis don't like cold wet feet mm. particularly in the in the winter so if you're going to grow clematis in pots and containers and you're in a very wet area where you have a very high rainfall during the winter then probably uh, one very important thing is when you're growing the clematis in its ceramic pot or whatever, lift that container off the ground by putting some, you know, there are some feet, some of the fancy ones have, mm. or put th simply three bricks under your container, flat on the ground, put your container on top of that, then the water drains through, the clematis are watered, but it also drains freely. So, and certainly there are some of the species like clematis flammula, which is a, a, a lovely scented species from southern Europe, from, from France, Mediterranean area. Well, that grows on very, very dry uh, soils there. And if you plant that in a very wet part of your garden, it will hate it and it will die, sadly. With the watering, is there any preference to tap water over rainwater or does that not make any difference? Well, I, I'm a very big believer of, of using rainwater, absolutely. In our nursery here, we have huge um, uh, reservoirs. We harvest all the rainwater. In our one nursery here, we have four acres of glass houses. So you can imagine we're able to harvest a lot of rainwater. Of course. And what we do, Mike, in our system here is all part of what we do for the environment. And we've been doing this for 20 or more years now. We actually recycle that water. Um, I know you can't do that in a, in a garden, but mm. you know, water and that rainwater is so important. So we recycle that water for three to four months. So, yeah, the rainwater, if you haven't rainwater, but you know, if, you, if you can save rainwater, absolutely. Um, pests and diseases. A number of people have obviously asked me about pests and diseases. And of course, the biggie, which we've touched on a couple of times, is clematis wilt. Can you tell us what is clematis wilt? Okay, well, clematis wilt is, uh, Latin name is Foma clematidina. I'll keep it very basic, a fungal spore that, that is in, in the soil. Uh, and your clematis might be damaged by wind or, or the stem may be damaged by wind. And um, then uh, the, the spores during rain or heavy watering can be splashed from the compost in the container or, or the soil in the garden onto the stem of the clematis very, very basically. Uh, th those spores breed, they block up the sap stream and the clematis just collapses. Right. Uh, and so that's number one, if you have a garden where you get a lot of clematis wilt, and I, you know, I hardly hear anything about clematis wilt th th these days, mm. uh, but I'm sure it, it will happen in gardens, particularly with some of the old varieties and some of the very old plants. So, uh, so if, if, you, if your plant does collapse with clematis wilt, then uh, what you need to do is cut all the top growth down to right down to soil level 
And then uh, if you're allowed to burn that top growth, do, don't leave any leaves about because there may be the spores there. Yeah. Um, so, and then if you planted your clematis that extra bit deeper that we spoke about, Mike, then the clematis will probably grow from below soil level again and grow away happily. But there are no fungicides or no chemicals that I know of that can be used anymore to avoid clematis wilt. So it's really plant hygiene. And and, um, I'm not saying that our new clematis do not suffer with clematis wilt, but we are producing, as I mentioned before, 2 million clematis selling around the world. We never hear any will problems in in the production nurseries around the world that we work with as we would have done 30 years or, or more yeah. ago we we've never seen clematis wilt on our nursery for certainly more than 30 years 35 years or something like that and it's all down to this is why we spent a great deal of money in, in, in investment into how we grow our clematis in our nursery here in Guernsey. Uh, everything is grown on ebon flood tables, yeah. so they don't, they're not grown on the ground. And so the hygiene and the pruning uh, and, and that we don't use masses of chemicals. In fact, we go the other way. We use an integrated pest control system. So we use very little chemical on, on, on our clematis. So clematis, I'm sure, will wilt, uh, will collapse from clematis, will put it down uh, and really think about the hygiene of, of that area. But there isn't that much you, you can do. And people will very often ask, well, I've had clematis wilt in my garden. Can I plant a clematis back in that location? I know People will disinfect the soil and things like that. I've never done that. Uh, I've replanted and the plants got on with it. So some people have contacted me to say that maybe half of a plant has died. Could that still be clematis wilt or is that possibly something else? I think it it would not probably not be clematis wilt. Well, half of the plant, if half of that plant is is coming out of, of of the soil, so it could be one stem that's shot up. And that's collapsed. That's possible. Well, the other stems can, can can be perfectly all right, or one or two stems can can, can collapse. So yes, um, that 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 is quite possible. But if the stem is is died um, from two or three feet upwards on a plant, then that's from wind damage or or some other physical damage that's caused that stem to collapse. So Clementis will decide. What other pests and diseases could we be looking out for? Or should we be looking out for for clematis? Well, I, th- I think the one is um, one of the perhaps worst ones is is mildew, um, and, and that's all all to do with climatic conditions. And again, if a clematis is growing in a an area where the wind movement is poor, so air circulation is poor, then the plant is more likely to to pick up mildew, and that could be not because the gardener has done anything wrong or anything like that. You know, if suddenly the, the night temperatures rise and the humidity levels rise, there uh, mildew we know will have a field day virtually <laughs> and and develop o- o- overnight. Uh, but but again, going back to our breeding work here. In our selection work, and it, from breeding, developing a new clematis, where it takes us eight to ten years to put a new plant on the market, and if we say mildew on any of our new varieties, doesn't matter how good they are, we throw them away and start again. But clematis, and there are some gorgeous ones, some of the Texensis clematis, Texensis etrol rose, it's a great favourite of mine, but in in the wrong situation, in an area where there's little air movement or maybe the soil is very dry, then that plant can have a lovely grey appearance (laughs) and and it's not the foliage, it's just the mildew. So so it's really difficult to to really advise the the gardener or the consumer. Um, You know, I I think um, it's really some of the species and some of the small flowered hybrids like the Texensis hybrids that succumb to, 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 to mildew. Mm. And also the lovely old cultivar, Ville de Lyon, will have mildew really, really badly. And its lower leaves will die off really badly. But that, of course, was developed from Clematis texensis, the American species, where that mildew problem came in from. So mildew can be a problem. Aphid, green fly, white fly um, can be problems. Uh, earwigs can be a problem. 
Um, you know, and if you have a lovely old house and you have some maybe some wooden windowsills and things like that, which have got cracks in, mm-hmm. or maybe a half timbered building uh, where the earwigs can sleep during the day and come out, we call them night prowlers, <laughs> come out and then chew away. Um, they, they, again, there are chemicals one can use, but I'm not really in favour of that. But I know uh, an old method, and you may feel, oh, don't want to do that. But uh, again, a method I learned from my father was, uh, you know, if you've got earwigs there, one way of dealing with it, if you can bear it, is to stuff a, a flower pot with uh, with moss yes. and put it on a stick and the earwigs, and then you have to shake it out and use your feet to dispose <laughs> of the earwigs. Send them back. I, I hope that doesn't upset too many people. <laughs> Talking of night prowlers, slugs and snails, um, I know my own clematis. Sometimes they seem to nibble on the stems. Well, yeah, the the slugs and the snails can actually skin, as we say, skin the the stem. But, uh, Mike, if you're a slug or a snail and you've been waiting all winter, uh, like we do, for the asparagus to come up, what do we do? We (laughs) grab the asparagus, and that's asparagus to the slugs and snails. So, again, there are many remedies without using chemicals. And, you know, you can put some beer in a pot and you can use copper filings and things like that. People have lots of different remedies. I've never really used any of those, I'm afraid. We talked at the very beginning about growing clematis through shrubs or trees. Are there any great companions that you think of for clematis? What are your sort of top suggestions? Well, I, I guess um, I, I, I love growing clematis with roses, mm. uh, uh, and and I love I love some of the species, or lots of the species, botanical roses. Um, they, many of them have a very short flowering season, so it's so nice to plant a, a maybe a jackmanite type clematis or a later flowering clematis to grow up up into those. Or you know, or you can grow some of the more modern varieties, which, which will be longer flowering. But you know, I I, I think it's important, and I and some of the talks I I talk about is the right plant for the right place. And I think if you are going to grow, you just need to think of, about. Uh, what you're going to grow with, with what and I just love I love the bitter clematis I think they're really great they're not very popular sadly as a garden plant we bred and developed lots of them and sales were terrible uh, but people love the big colors and uh, the colors and the dramatic color I love the species and the small flowered ones so you know select some of the lovely old roses the climbing roses the rambler roses and grow some of the summer flowering clematis through them and Go to some of the gardens like Hidcock Manor in, in, in the Cotswolds and see the planting there or the planting that used to be there of the bitter cellars growing with roses. So I, I think I think that, that that's 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 really a lovely. But I, I love to see clematis rambling around at almost ground level uh, amongst perennial plants and particularly with some of the new varieties that we've introduced in recent years. And there's a lovely one called Petit Faucon. We named it like you know, Little Falcon. Uh, and that's fantastic for, for trailing through perennial plants. And uh, I, I think that, that, that gives that cottage garden but a modern twist, I guess, to grow clematis, just scrambling around at ground level up into uh, some perennials. That, that to me is so pretty and so attractive. And I think it's something that's probably really underrated and underused. You don't often see that, do you? No, I, I certainly not, because, uh, you know, gosh, I've been writing books and writing about clematis for far too long now, but, you know, but, but I keep, keep saying grow clematis in a microclimate with other plant material. If you have the good fortune to go out into the wilds, I'm very fortunate enough to do go in China, just see them scrambling around through bushes mm. and shrubs and perennials, whatever. And, and that's the natural way. And I love that natural way of gardening. I say so many times to people, look at nature, learn from nature. Can we have a clematis in our garden 365 days of the year? Nearly. If, yeah, the answer. If you're in the southern part of England, yes, you, you can. Uh, uh, you can start the season off with clematis serosa purpurescens uh, freckles, uh, which is uh, one that I grew. I named it freckles after my eldest daughter because when she was 
18, she had lots of freckles. Uh, and when she got older, she used makeup. And you can't see the freckles anymore. And that's why I had to name a clematis Rebecca, because nobody knew she was freckles. Oh, how lovely. I didn't know that. And of course, freckles is such a well-known clematis anyway. What a lovely story. So freckles um, will have a bit of a summer dormancy. Yep. It will start flowering in October, November. And then you can have some of the other cirrhosis that will flower up to Christmas. Then you have some of the New Zealand evergreens that come on then and the Chinese evergreens like Clematis armandi. Then you have the Alpinas, the Macropetalus, then the Montanas. And then, of course, we go into the early large flowers, the summer flowering ones. And then you end up with the, the Tanguticas, the Bill Mackenzies, and all of those later flowering species like Clematis redriana, which has a fantastic cowslip perfume. So that takes you through in, into November. Mm. Yeah, so, so I've done the year for you. Well, that's fantastic. So there's no excuse for anybody now. We all need to go shopping. <laughs> um, just very quickly, for the adventurous amongst us, the adventurous gardeners, how easy to propagate clematis and can we grow from seed? So let me deal with seed first of all. If you're going to grow a clematis species from seed, then it will come pretty well true, true to type. So that's easy. So if you have Tangutica, you'll grow it from seed. Um, that will work out um, okay. It will be variable. Um, if you have Clematis flammula and some of or Clematis campaniflora, a lot of the other species, they will come absolutely true uh, from, from, from seed. If it's a hybrid, then it's a hybrid. So what you'll get is, is, is anyone's guess as the saying is, yeah. but you can grow them. And basically, if you want to collect the seed of your clematis, uh, harvest it in the autumn, so probably August, maybe September, uh, pop it in, in a household fridge, give it a bit of a cold treatment, and then you can sow the seeds in probably January, February. But you have to be patient. It will take maybe six months, maybe more okay. for those seeds to germinate. And then you have to grow on the, the little seedlings. So that's fun. Okay, that's yeah. Uh, that's a fun way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, so seed, yes. Uh, cuttings. Then you can use an internodal cutting. So you have a, a basically, basically, as it says, an internode. You you have you cut off a stem about a quarter of an inch, a few centimeters above the node, and then probably yeah, an inch or a little bit more, so a few centimeters below. Then I like to reduce that the the leaf area of that internodal cutting by 60%, so I take one leaf off totally, uh, and then I reduce the, the remaining leaf area or leaflets by about 50% as well. Um, and the best time to do that is from outdoor material is, is probably um, during late April, May, perhaps just into June. Okay. Um, you, you must not use flowering wood, you must use new growth. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do that from a Montana, then after it's flowering, it, want to do it from a viticella then before it flowers but don't be too successful because that's my <laughs> yeah <laughs> we won't be i'm sure well thank you thank you thank you for your time it's been an absolute privilege for me and good luck at the chelsea flower show in september and hoping for your how many number golds have you had now well, I have 30 today, so. Chelsea gold medals, <laughs> but uh, it's never another one until we've actually achieved it. So, Mike, thank you. And I look forward to seeing you and I look forward to meeting many of your, your listeners uh, at this year's Chelsea Flower Show too. Thank you. Well, I've learned so much and I hope you've enjoyed this wonderful Clematis special episode. My thanks to Raymond for his time and you can view his stunning Clematis collection at RaymondEversonClematis.com And I'll be back with a new Mike the Gardener episode very soon. Bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. <laughs>